should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Oh, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because what else do you have to do while waiting to get on the Helldivers 2 servers? My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who has no idea what that last sentence meant, but assumes it's a nerd thing I'm into. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Benedict! Uh, what is your favorite video game from our childhood? Our childhood. So we're talking... You know, the, what would that be? I think it's the fourth console era is the N64 PlayStation yeah. 1 era. One. Yes. So what, yeah. that's that's what I'm talking about. What's your favorite so, from that? Uh, well, the, the thing that I probably first got into like gaming of any kind with was the Game Boy Color version of oh, Pokemon yeah. Blue. Oh, that's so hard to um, beat. It was, it was just about the perfect RPG and it hit yeah. it just the right time. So, yeah, that and then, you know, on to, you know, all the Pokemons up to, like, silver and gold, I think. Those were, I, so I had yellow and then silver and gold and all those. I think I kept playing up through, like, was it Ruby and yeah, Sapphire, Yeah, actually, I had that maybe, as well. I had the, the next Advance, gen. Yeah. yeah, I had the next gen of that. And then, uh, so on consoles, uh, my, the PlayStation game that I first got into probably was Tekken 2 and then See, Tekken 3. I never got into fighting games. Because mm. I, I couldn't, I as a child, games. like, memorize all the different things to get whatever various move you wanted to do. I just couldn't do uh, it, so okay. it didn't work out yeah. for me. Fair enough. Yeah, I like that in sports games, because it's the two things I'm not good at in real life, <laughs> so... <laughs> Fighting and driving, or fight, fighting, fighting and sports. Fighting and sports. I was gonna say yeah. throw in driving games. There we go. Oh, all I also three liked for you. Gran Turismo. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> another one. Yeah, that's true. That's good. Uh, so all the things I can't do in real life, basically. There um, we go. Yeah. What about you? For me, I, so you know, we were a Nintendo household. Uh, okay. My house was. So we had an. Nintendo I'm pretending I didn't also have a Nintendo to avoid coming off uh -huh. too bourgeois, but uh -huh. I definitely did. <laughs> we had an, so we had an N64. We didn't get any other uh, console other than we got Nintendo. So my older cousin lived with us for a while when we were younger, and he had mm. the first Nintendo, the NES. And then yeah. uh, somewhere along the way, he upgraded to a Super Nintendo. Like, at the time that the N64 came out, he got a Super oh, Nintendo. Oh, do you know what? Actually, I had a Sega Mega Drive, and uh, that was my first actual console. Okay. And all, like, the Sonic the Sonic the Hedgehog games on there and stuff, they were probably the, my, nice. my first actual one. Sorry, I lied to you. I just wanted to correct the record. <laughs> but for our household, for me and both of my brothers, like, we would play uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time mm, all, yeah, yeah. like, over and over. I can't tell you how many times I've beaten that game. It's just one of the best games ever made, period. And eventually we just Crap. got to where we were all speed running it because uh, <laughs> cool. we played it so many times. Yeah, uh, I can't believe I, I have the Sega mm -hmm. like emblazoned into my memories. <laughs> I don't know how I've, how I've forgotten that. I don't know how you did either. But anyways, Benedict, you probably know what it is we do here on this program. Uh, other folks, folks who don't appreciate the fine, fine games that are the Zelda franchise, uh, mm -hmm. they might not understand or know. What it is we do here, and then I would say, 
This is the show where we go a deep, 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 deep to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter of a work of conservative literature, and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us off, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us this week? Can you check you're still on your mic? Yeah, I, uh... Is that related to your hot take in some way? No. But no, it did switch. It did switch over. I don't know why. It switched over to uh, my uh, webcam microphone rather than my normal microphone. But Benedict, this is staying in the show. Hot take from you? It's it's good that I can hear the difference. (laughs) Um, Yeah, taxes fucking blow. (laughs) Dude, you got two months till you got to worry about that. No, I've done them already. It just sucks that I have to use H&R Block or TurboTax or whatever to do uh, them. Were you unable to use the new free file thing? I have complex things. Um, uh, you know what? That is a thing. It. Is if you even like check a box that says, yes, I went to college. It's like, oh, now yeah. you're complex. Now you need to go pay us fifty dollars or whatever everything's everything's an upsell that i didn't ask for. yes exactly literally and like my mere <laughs> existence is an upsell that i didn't ask for i literally um, think that i remember doing this last year but i checked a box that said something like i had student loan payments yeah and all of a sudden it's like well now you have to pay money no more free file fuck you fuck you That's yeah it. it's it's cool that free file exists in in that it, it you know it well, sucks I, when it I doesn't think... but that they are rolling out this year a new free file system, different than the one in the past that I've heard about recently. Okay. But it's not in, like, full access for everyone this year. It's like a trial phase they're doing gotcha. this year. So some people get to use this and see how it works, and, and it should have, like, all the features and stuff, hopefully. Uh, and hopefully that's, that gets rolled out for everyone, because we shouldn't be paying fucking people uh, to go onto their website and fill out a form. That's some bullshit. That's no, I will bullshit. say that for our international listeners, like literally, like it, it, you can't just like you have to guess how much money you owe the government, basically, and if wrong, jail. And by like, the way, the government knows. The yeah, government exactly. knows how much money you owe them. Yeah, and the, to unless be fair, you're they, hiding like, if shit, you, <laughs> if you go on the like government website, there is like a calculator that's like, hey, you're like putting away too much money. Like you don't need to. They do do their best to tell you, but they just can't enshrine it in law because there's too much money lobbying money coming from right. TurboTax and HR Block. So it's anyway, bullshit. this show it is not sponsored by TurboTax. Not sponsored by TurboTax, despite it being tax season and them uh, them sponsoring literally everyone. Not sponsored, never will That's be sponsored right. That's by right. TurboTax, because go fuck yourselves. Damn right. Anyway, we are your sponsored this week by QuickBooks Pro. <laughs> 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 uh, no, my hot take this week, Benedict, as I get older, I've told you I've had an aversion to hot drinks for most of my yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, they're starting to slightly grow on me, mm, and I is it think because the your throat is now dead from years of abuse. And I, I, like... <laughs> I, I, I've told you this many times, but after we finish recording for the day, oftentimes my voice is notably different from when we yeah. started recording because of how I yell into a microphone because yes. of years of abuse. <laughs> but no, I think uh, it may have something to do with uh, I don't know, maybe ancient greek or roman notions of uh the body's internal fire dimming uh needing more warmth to sustain the life-giving essence of my body uh okay. but i recently i was at the grocery store and i picked up um like a, a box of hot chocolate powder for one Ooh. and I, what what brand are we showing I, I brand grab, royalty i just grabbed the store brand swiss just, miss it's all gonna taste the same man it's all gonna taste the same uh and then also a package of hot apple cider 
uh, like teabag thingies almost, which is weird. Um, but uh, I've cool. been I've been drinking them, and you know what? I gotta say they are fine. They're okay, fine. There you go. That's all I needed from you. That's it. My body's <laughs> changing, and apparently I like it warm now. That's all it is. Anyways, Benedict, let's move on. What is on your bookshelf this week? Uh, I'm going to recommend one I think I've already done, um, but I think it's good. I've been reading it again. Um, Every other week war- you think you've recommended a book you're about to recommend. Well, because I only have so many books, so I, and people are new listeners, so it's fine. Uh, the Warmth of Other Suns is uh, very good by Isabel Wilkinson. It's about um, the Great Migration uh, of people moving from the South to the North in the mid early mid-20th century. Um, so yeah, it's good. Read it. It's good. She's also written a book called Cast, which is also very good. I think that's um, the one that got more uh, press when it came out. Uh, that one, yeah, got a lot was, of press. that was the more recent one. But I think the Warmth of the Suns did reasonably well when it came out as well. But yeah, Cast. I think Cast was like an Oprah thing as well. Probably. Um, anyway, what about you? Uh, for me, Benedict, I am recommending something that isn't even out yet this week. Wow. Uh, so it's coming out, I think, in March. But Benedict. The new X-Men cartoon, X-Men okay. 97. Madam Web. <laughs> no, unfortunately, <laughs> I am unable to recommend Madam Web to everyone. <laughs> we, look, we're, we're gonna here's what we're gonna do, okay? We're all gonna pretend the Madam Web movie doesn't exist. That's what we're gonna no, do. Fine. We're just gonna pretend, okay? It's what if fine if every now again. and then there's a flop. It's fine if there's a flop every now and then. It, yes, does it hurt me deeply? Time. Does it hurt me deeply that it's connected to my, my Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse and the various uh, spider figures of Marvel? Yes, it hurts me deeply that they made a really bad movie involving spider people. But I think we should run the Morbius campaign. We're going to, no. And, and get, <laughs> we're going to do the third half of the Morbius campaign. Third half. Yes, I said that. Where we all just forget the movie existed and move no, on No, I'm going to be lives. tweeting. It's webbing time. And <laughs> <laughs> if you get that campaign off the ground, I swear it's to God, <laughs> I will hurt you. I will come hurt you. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, but super excited for the new X-Men cartoon. Man, it looks so good. And honestly, that theme song, whenever it kicks off, it a, is a, a banger. Like oh, a, a, a known banger. Absolutely. And it just, oh man, that was one of the best cartoon series ever made. Uh, and I'm super excited because it, it was a dark one. Like X-Men is a darker than average uh, comic story for children, I would say. But it's also, yeah. the X-Men have been sort of the, the bedrock of the Marvel Universe in as much as, like, sales of X-Men comics have kept Marvel afloat when other things aren't making any money. Uh, and it's always been, I think, one of the more interesting because of just the nature of the X-Men and their storyline, right? The way that mm-hmm. it's an obvious and not at all hidden allegory for the treatment of African Americans in this country. Um, uh-huh. And... Uh, the way they've used that throughout the decade. It's great. I'm super excited. The trailer is out. So I guess if you want something to watch, you can go watch the trailer over and over again. Okay, cool. That's yeah. uh, that's one of your options. But uh, anyways, Benedict, that's what I'm recommending. Let's move it along to housekeeping this week. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen. Both of those are Twitter. On Blue Sky, you can follow us at NYGBC Pod and at Ben YGBC. That's right. 
Yes, that is right. Uh, updates, Benedict. Updates. Obviously, on Friday, you and I sat down and recorded the patron-only bonus episode for February. Uh, yep. We watched the first... 15-ish minutes? Ish, yeah, barely. We, uh, we, we, th- we were very ambitious about how far we could get through it, and it was uh, not very far. Uh, but uh, of the, the film Cultural Marxism, The Corruption of America, that we played a clip from on last week's show, and holy shit, was it crazy. That Mad, movie, yeah. Movie Mad is- as a box of frogs. <laughs> Absolutely insane. Uh, and I do think that because it relates to the subject matter of the Ted Cruz book that's coming out, we're going to be probably releasing it on the main feed for everyone because it gets into uh, sort of what they mean by the conspiracy, which we didn't really touch on in our episode. We sort of looked at just the history and development of the phrase and stuff. So uh, I think we're going to release that. Everyone will get to hear it. It is a whole lot of fun, though. I'm super excited for that. I also realized during the edit for that um, that I said that they were showing American Ninja Warriors on screen. I meant American Gladiators. Yeah, American I said gladiators, and then you said I thought I was wrong. I and think I might, yeah, I might have spoken over you. And uh, shut up, Benedict! Shut up! It's my show, Benedict! It's my show! Wait till you have your YouTube us. channel, and I'm not there, and then you'll be sad. <laughs> that brings us to our new inductee into the Spooky World New World Order this week. That is, of course, Roy Thompson. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. <laughs> And in addition to being a new inductee, uh, Roy also sent us a, us a message uh, with a is it, what is it called on Instagram? What what's a TikTok on Instagram a reel. called? A reel. a reel. That's right. Look, it's a TikTok on Instagram. That's what it is. I'm sorry, it's just a mm-hmm. TikTok on Instagram uh, of Dan McClellan, who I do I do uh, enjoy very much. Uh, Fact checking a Josh Hawley video that he recorded, which was great. Uh, so I will share that. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it, Hedgy. I'm not on Instagram. Can I share an Instagram on t- on Twitter and Blue Sky? Can yeah. you do that? Sure, yeah. I'll figure out how that works, and I'll try and share. You it have around. the link in the patron thing. You're okay, fine. it's just li- okay. I I don't know. Look, I'm not on Instagram. Pictures okay, are not Grandpa. Like that. Literally, literally okay like, boomer like i i'm not on instagram because i don't take pictures of myself and stuff like i'm not a you picture don't have to guy. take pictures of yourself well i feel like that's what people are posting i don't take it's pictures not. of many you, things okay okay most of the photos in my phone are screenshots i take so i can remember things later <laughs> or folks ac- will uh, will educate kevin about instagram offer all right yeah yeah uh, but anyways, Roy Thompson, you were, I already did it. You were part of our Spooky World New World Order. Uh, Congrats. If you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, blah, you can tweet or post <clears> about <throat> the show on social media, recommending to others, and send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron, or just get my attention with something good. And with all that out of the way, Benedict, we continue, we finish actually this week, our book review of Manhood by Josh Hawley, or as he prefers to be known, Taserface. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You brought the Marvel references into my brain this week. Uh, uh, Anyways, Benedict, what did we read this week? Uh, We read the final chapter and the epilogue uh, of Josh's book, which is called King. Uh, chapter 10, a nice, nice decalogue that we've got here, the Ten Commandments, as it were, uh, ending with King, uh, which I, was- I a... sort of wonder if Josh heard a bunch of the young kids are calling people King these days. That's my joke. My <laughs> alternate chapter, that's my alternate chapter title was Fuck Off King. 
uh, <laughs> instead of go off king. I, I do think it's funny that Gen Z is already uh, implementing Josh's advice and calling each other king. Yeah, um, yeah. That's good. Good for Gen Never Z. Never say Josh isn't a trailblazer. Or as, I, or as I like to call them, Gen Z. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so basically where Josh uh, stretches 10 pages of content into 30 pages of... Oh, Christ, of, doesn't uh, he? <laughs> 30 pages of book because he wants to get it over 200 pages. I'm pretty sure is the only reason. But to, to be fair, Benedict, you and I before have thought, okay, we only have 15 pages ahead of us. We can get through this in an hour in one episode, and then we are sorely mistaken. So... But, yes, that's he, often true, but this time I really think there's nothing to it. Fingers crossed. Why yeah. don't we get into this week's episode? Now, you already uh, gave your uh, yeah. Fuck off, title. King. Alternate chapter. Title. I have two. Do you have three? No. Okay. All right. No. Good. No. We've, I have two. We've learned alternate chapter titles this week. Uh, first up, uh, Josh Hawley, King of the Rats, um, and uh, number two. I see you cringing as you motion at your wife there for something <laughs> she came to offer me more tea and i still have almost a full cup of tea is what happened because i didn't show you this and this is bad podcasting but can i just show you my new mug which a is as big as my head and wow, b has an extremely happy egg with arms that's showing you his strawberries but then on the other side this is the happy egg but on the other side there is a piece of toast who's <laughs> grinning evilly because clearly he has murdered one of the strawberries and spread it on himself in a ritualistic sacrifice <laughs> <laughs> so that's you realize you have to post photos of that mug now. I, you don't have I another will, option. Yeah. I, will, I will put it on Blue Sky. Okay. Uh, my other alternate chapter title this week. Um, I don't think Josh knows what king means. I think he means landlord. <laughs> <laughs> Fairly sure that's what he means there. So this is, as you said, the final chapter, chapter 10, and it begins, quote, from the time I was five or six, my father would take me pheasant hunting every year on the season's opening weekend, which was usually the first or second Saturday in November. I say pheasant, though typically we shot quail, too. Do you think that was on purpose or because they were bad at shooting pheasant? <laughs> you know what? Okay, here's the thing. Just Josh like Elmer Fudding, like, panic shooting, anything that moves. Just J Josh says he is five or six here, right? And my dad, growing up in Minnesota, has similar stories about how when he was a child, they would go pheasant hunting at, you know, the uncle's place down mm -hmm. south of the state. And uh, uh, everyone would go walk and lie. And the kids would be the one beating the, the bushes to shake sure. the pheasants up and whatnot. But here's the thing, Benedict. Pheasant hunting and quail hunting are one of the most dangerous activities in hunting that you can do. People are constantly okay. being hit by pellets from other people's shotguns. He does acknowledge that. And also, it didn't, it didn't Dick Cheney, wasn't that? Yeah, I was about hunting? to bring yeah. up, that's how Dick Cheney yeah. shot another guy in the face. Yeah, in the face. I they don't know die, why right? you have five or six-year-olds out there running around doing things. Does not seem safe. Just no. going to put that here up front. That's fine. I get it. This is family tradition stuff. Still does not seem safe to me. Does not seem like the greatest idea imaginable. But so the only interesting thing we learn here, which I'm surprised actually we didn't get this earlier in the book, is that the last name of his mother's side of the family is Hammer. It's the Hammer family. Yeah, he also refers to his mum making the yes, very funny. Shit he also refers to his mum making a brisket, but he says mother. Mother usually made a brisket. Oh, I'm sorry, so I didn't funny. realize you were, you were part of the like. What? Well, I didn't know you were part of Mike the Pence, Pence family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't realize you went to fucking Eaton. 
And yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, so whatever. he continues. Like we're not going to talk about most of the story because it's just I used to run around trying to scare I used the to birds chase, out for people chase to birds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Uh, but he continues by saying, and at the center of the festivities, because it's turned into like a family reunion type deal. At some point, he says, was my grandfather, the family patriarch Harold Hammer. Come on. <laughs> Harold, I feel like, and this is my honest opinion, if your last name is Hammer, there is a moral imperative to name your firstborn son Jack, right? There has to be a Jack Hammer. No, well, maybe, yes, but also... Normative determinism, Bennett, we talked about this last week. I think think the funnier one is Armand Hammer. Uh, (laughs) Army Hammer, that's a real guy. No, I know it. Who turned out to be a cannibal, uh, which is <laughs> fucked up. But his dad was called, or either his dad or granddad was called Armand Hammer, and was like, "Fuck this brand oh, that okay. exists." Armand A R M A N D. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realize that yeah. in my head uh, at the Ar- moment. Armand Hammer, and he does the brand <laughs> Armand Hammer existed separately, and he was like, "I'm gonna buy that brand," <laughs> and then could, they didn't sell it to him. But then his grandson went on to be a cannibal, allegedly. So that sucks. Yeah. Mm, okay, Benedict, we we need to do an entire episode about name names and determinism. We really need yeah, to no, nominative determinism. It would just be it would be an excuse for me to come up with a bunch of conservatives with fucked up names to talk yeah. about. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yes, Harold Hammer, the grandfather, he's in charge of this. He continues. I never knew my grandfather as a young man. He was in his 40s when my mother, his youngest child, came along, and well into his 70s by the time I remember him. But he never seemed younger than he did on those hunting weekends and on those Saturday nights. Skipping down a little ways. There he was in the shed, handing around the Jack Daniels. There he was offering up pickled herring, that Scandinavian specialty he claimed as a personal favorite. And I remember him with me like it was yesterday, taking my small hand at his large one, and by the light of a single yard lamp, showing me how to hold the knife and slice along the bone. That is the intro to a horror right there. That's what that is. This is how you slit a throat, son. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's not specifying there what bone they are slicing along. No, I mean, they're talking about cleaning cleaning the birds. You are drawing an inference. I have to Uh, say I find uh, that inappropriate in the circumstance. uh, As a lawyer, yeah, okay. We clearly know that this is a human they have caught, who they now are are slaughtering for the family feast. Uh, His wife is going to, his mom, mother, is going to make some of that delicious uh, human brisket that he wrote about earlier in the chapter. We know exactly what's going on here. So I would I would appreciate it if you would stop interjecting with your stupid bullshit. <laughs> Never. Uh, so yeah, Grandpa was the life of the party. That's what this really is all about. Uh, but more, more particularly than that, he is the patriarch. That mm-hmm. is what he was referred to as earlier. A.K.A. Yes. King. He's gonna, the whole implication is that every family has a king. And and Josh is the king of his family. That's okay. that's where we're getting to. But even beyond that, and I mentioned this before we started recording, the the just definition of the word king here, and so many other words, ruling and things like that. Josh is just like, well, do words really have meanings? Yeah, Josh is suddenly for him fast, to take that vibe is very strange. Fast here. and loose, yeah, with uh, with with meaning. It's like when uh, when Jordan Peterson gets all mad about postmodernism, and then he's like, "What do you mean by if?" <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it depends on what you mean by the, and what you mean <laughs> by God, and what you mean exactly. by put your pants on, Jordan. 
<laughs> and what you mean by I'm calling the police? Uh, but he continues, Josh does, not Jordan Peterson, saying, quote, In the ancient Near East, at the center of society and civilization, stood a king. According to the ancient myths and traditions, the king joined together with the human and divine realms. It was his duty to sustain the divine order on which society was built. He was to personify that order, to embody it, and on pain of his life to defend it. And then we learned that apparently the Bible is different than that somehow. Yeah. In the Bible, there were no kings, so never mind. Really? <laughs> never mind. Josh? All that. Yeah, because there were. I don't think Ridiculous. Josh owns a copy of the Bible. Uh, he says about that, quote, The Bible, too, speaks of kings. It begins with one, Adam, who notably was not a king in the Bible. Yeah. At any point. No. Apart from, like, he, there were only two humans alive, therefore so, I guess he was king. I mean, if if the rule for who is king is strongest man alive, then technically maybe Adam would have had it at the beginning. Uh, feels like Cain would have taken that from him very quickly. Uh, Pretty quickly, yeah. But he continues, And the Adam stories culminate with another, Solomon, on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, a new Edom, blah, blah, blah. So what we learn here is that we're going to be talking about Solomon as the biblical example for most of this chapter. Um, yeah, but not in any kind of detail, really. Again, no. it's, just, it's like he just says, like, Solomon, good guy, that guy, <laughs> that's it, basically. He doesn't deal with any of the interesting stuff from Solomon, like no. the 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the baby he threatened to soar in half. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we never get any of the interesting stuff in this book. What the fuck? <laughs> Listen, if you're a king, sometimes you got to threaten to soar some babies in half to keep people in line. That's all I'll say. But Josh says, quote, But the Bible never speaks of kings as a special class of humans who stand above the rest. It does, uh, though, I just, Yeah, I disagree. Yeah, I disagree. <laughs> Simply that's wrong. He continues, No, the Bible says every man is called to lead and, equally significant, to take up the responsibilities of leadership. Communism? And... <laughs> that was good. That was a yeah. good one. That was a good one. Um, every man is called to use his influence to help bring the world into order, which begins with bringing his own life into order, and by doing that, to discover true freedom for himself and others. Every man is meant to be a king. This Th is the crowning role of the mission of manhood. This is where I almost had to close the book and be like, this is literally like clean your room levels yeah. of like, this is Jordan Peterson levels of like self-help book. And I think, was it only last chapter where we both had the sudden realization that this is a hel a self-help book? Or was yeah, it, was well, I think before? we kind of, we'd, we'd hinted at it, but like, yeah, we talked about it last time of like, it very suddenly seemed like this is definitely a improve your life self-help book. But without even any of those basic concrete steps, like I guess every now and then he does say, go get a job, which I, I guess yeah. maybe is a sort of self-helpy concrete type kind step. Of, but it's also the kind of things that thing that like a Victorian industrialist would say to a street <laughs> urchin. Like it's not really helpful. You there, boy, how much is a goose? Yeah, go get a job. <laughs> you know, that, get a job and you can afford that goose, boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise you'll be the goose. <laughs> uh, but he continues, quote, the left today warns shrilly that male leadership can only Shrimp. ever amount to domination. The Bible says it can bring liberty. For a man and those around him, it can bring flourishing. 
if a man is willing to do what liberty and flourishing require, which I believe is bathe the earth in the blood of your enemies. I'm pretty I think sure. So. And, and, and plow, plow the soil with their bones. Yeah, I think exactly, that's... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. yes, he tells us the problem today is that men, they're not leading. They just want to sit on the couch. These men, they're not leading. They just want their screens and their porn, and that's it. That's all the men want these days. Not enough of them out there going to manly man leading workout camps. The Pornhub get... traffic is what we are doing. <laughs> Boy, um, if so many men are all straight, uh, Pornhub statistics about gay porn watching uh, must be wrong somehow, I guess. Uh, but that brings us, Benedict, to the first subsection of the title of the, the chapter titled A Man's Dominion, in which he begins saying, quote, The Bible's story of Solomon's reign begins with what sounds like paradise. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy, it says, and they were rich. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. And I gotta say, Benedict... Nobody needs that much in a day. No. That's ridiculous. No, look, the problem is that the the 1% are keeping (laughs) all the cores of fine flour to themselves, and (laughs) nobody else, and the cores of meal as well. Uh, I, myself, am only able to get one core of fine flour per day, and I know what a core is, Benedict. I know exactly what a core is. I can tell. You're talking like a man who knows what a core is, yeah. (laughs) Yes. I think they were an Irish pop group. <laughs> there is a city in Missouri called Crevcore, uh, spelled entirely differently, but uh, yeah. Uh, so I only read that part specifically because later um, Josh claims that kings shouldn't be incredibly wealthy. Uh-huh. Despite pointing out that Solomon was, according to the Bible, incredibly, incredibly wealthy. wealthy. And also, like, we always do this, like, with the historicity of these figures. Solomon is one of the ones that, like, there's really no historical evidence other than the Bible that he ever existed. Um, some people think that he's like an amalgam of various figures. Some people think, yeah, there probably was a guy named Solomon. And this is all embellishment of, like, how successful his kingdom was, blah, blah, blah. But we don't really know on the Solomon front. There's just mm-hmm. really no evidence for his actual historicity. Uh, but he skips down, and this is what he says is the moral of the Solomon story, right? Quote, The moral is not hard to grasp, though we must say it again in light of the left's misconceptions. It is good for a man to exercise authority, good for him and for those around him, provided he does it well. It is, a good, it is good that a man show ambition, that he aim to do something useful with his life. That is the, what Josh gets from the fact that apparently Israel was doing good when Solomon was king. No citations directly to the text no. for that proposition. But, you know, no. Josh, he can read between the lines and he knows what of these course. stories are really about. Of course. It's very strange to me. But we next get a Josh's children's story, again, as we often do. And we get a couple of them this chapter, right? Uh, And this one is just about... (laughs) Yeah, including finding out that he has a daughter, which he has neglected to mention for 10 chapters. I don't remember him ever mentioning a daughter up to this point. (laughs) I really don't. He introduces her now at the end. (laughs) He's always talking about his sons. It's so funny. (laughs) To just be like, yeah, and I guess this one also. I mean, to be fair, Benedict, he is a misogynist piece of shit. So, no. 
<laughs> Maybe he doesn't care about the fact he had a daughter. He's like, ah, oh, that one's for the wife to play with. That's what that's about. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to have to give a dowry when she's married, and I don't mm, even know true. how many chests he, of wool I have lying He around. doesn't have enough cause for that. <laughs> Josh, buddy, got you got to get yourself some more gotta fine flour. Got to get some coals of fine flour. You got to put it in a high exactly. yield savings account right now, because otherwise, you never know. No, Benedict. Look, when when you're talking about like short term like this, you really want to look at the flour market. You mm. really want to buy some flour market. Uh, some flour futures. That's <laughs> exactly what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, yes, the fact we didn't learn he had a daughter till now is very funny. It's incredibly funny. But, but we, we still s- haven't learned it. I'm, I'm previewing We're not even it. there yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But this is the chapter where we learned that. But so we learned that Josh's son um, convinced a bunch of his students, I think he said he's like seven is how old this one is, I think. Yeah, seven. Yeah. Um, to dig up the schoolyard in search of minerals and gems. Um, yeah, and then okay, he does that, and then the son reports back that some uh, and sorry, there was a profit didn't sharing scheme. People want to work for him. Yeah, well, first of all, there was a profit <laughs> sharing scheme where they would get to keep a percentage of the minerals, which sounds good. That's like a worker co-op. Great, good mm-hmm. for Blaze yep. or Pascal or whatever his name. Is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh God, if he named him after Blaze Pascal, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised done. at this point if he did. That. Yeah, yeah, he might have done. Um, but so th- that's the first thing, and then the second thing, the like on day three, they down tools. And then Josh is like offended and be like, well, some men just aren't cut out for work. But like, there aren't any minerals in the schoolyard. (laughs) These children were right to down tools. And here's the explanation we get about when these kids stopped working. He said, quote, based on his nightly updates as the week progressed, all seemed to go well until the third or fourth day. When he reported digging had slowed, quote, because a couple of my workers were absent and one wanted to play kickball. (laughs) Yeah, good. Good. And then Good. just after that, he's like, not every man has the character. Like, okay. And look, you described it as a co-op type situation. I believe, honestly, that this is more likely a situation uh, where Josh's kid uh, is attempting to be the do-nothing owner uh, and watching other people work, which might explain Possibly. why digging slowed substantially. Yep. Uh, but bringing us to the next page, Josh says, quote, not every man has the character. There you so- go. Some fear the responsibility it brings and shirk back from taking the initiative. These men become dependent on others, often apathetic and resentful of those around them it's who also succeed. Funny because not uh, literally like we've talked about this, but Josh is acting as if everybody can be like I'm the boss. That's just not how it works. Because if everybody does that, then nobody does anything else. And everybody's like shouting at each other, thinking they're the boss, which just isn't how things work. No, you can't have everybody taking complete charge and control of every situation. You either agree to work cooperatively and in a flat structure, or there's some kind of hierarchy in which one person has to be the boss. Benedict's been uh, uh, researching and writing his application to go work for uh, Valve in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, so why he's really enthused by the flat hierarchical model. Yep, uh, that's right. <laughs> worker co-op, flat hierarchy, that's it. It's okay, to be fair, dream, worker co-op and a flat model are two distinctly different things. That's true. I have worked with worker co-ops when I was in law school who had, like, managers. A hierarchy. Yeah. Right, just because, like, it's simple to centralize some functions in people. But at the end, of the difference, now we're on 
on an entirely different topic that's in this entire Good. chapter. The difference is that in a worker co-op, the workers have ownership of the business. Yes. That is the distinct difference between a place like that and a place like Valve, which gave Newell's weird libertarian ass owns, and that's why you get games like Sex with Hitler available on Steam. Uh, but at the same time, they don't have a strict, rigid, hierarchical structure. Uh, that was very interesting, and I'd love to talk about it for a while, but that's not what the show is about. But let's not. <laughs> no, let's not. So, uh, he continues from where I left off. Uh, those men become dependent on others, apathetic and resentful of those around them who succeed. They come to resent the world in general. This is the man who won't hold a steady job or ask for a promotion when he deserves one. Or ask a woman on a date. This oh, is the man fucking coward. Who won't, show, who won't show initiative, but wants the benefits initiative brings. The fuck does that even mean, Josh? It's just, what it is, is Josh has, uh, and we're going to get this throughout the chapter this week, he has redefined, A, what king means to not actually be a king. Mm-hmm. He has redefined what ruling means to be so broad that in Josh's perception, saying, I'm in charge of my own household is ruling as a king would. And now we've got this broad, vague-ass concept of what dependence is. People need help and aren't good at everything all the time. Did you have... This is going to be a weird question if you didn't. Mm-hmm. And I my, my guess is that you didn't. This sounds like a very British show to me. But did you... <laughs> <laughs> what is the name of this I incredibly British say. show? Swans, um, Wallow, and Hornsby in the Morning! Pretty much, yeah. It's Budgie the Little Helicopter. <laughs> no, I didn't have Budgie the Little Helicopter. It might even I be do Australian. Know. I don't know. The only reason I know that Budgie is a nickname for a bird in the UK is because one of my favorite video game YouTubers, Monty Xander, has like cockatiels or something and always refers to them as his budgies. That's the only yeah, reason that's... I know anything about that. Anyway, Budgie the Little Helicopter. <laughs> There's a... <laughs> I can't even begin to explain this adequately. I don't know why I've gone down this tangent. It's a, it's a show about... It's, a, it's similar to Thomas the Tank Engine from my recollection. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it's about helicopters. And there's a helicopter called Lionel who's in charge. This is a really long explanation for the punchline, uh-huh. which is yeah. not going to be worth it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, and there's one bit of one episode where he sings this song and it's the, it's a, like a musical thing. And it, the song literally goes, and these are the only two <laughs> lines that I remember. It goes, I'm in charge. That means that I am most important. I'm in charge <laughs> of everything here. And that's how I imagine Josh in this chapter. That's all. <laughs> Benedict, um, <laughs> children's programming has not always been perfect, shall we say. <laughs> Sometimes Listen, they drop. Really the ball. stuck with me, and that just that that really like leapt into my head unbidden. I think I the fact that that's what you remember from that show might yeah. show that maybe they weren't uh, doing the best job they could there. I maybe uh, a lesson about sharing would have been good or caring. One I, th- of those I, two. I don't. I don't think he was like. I don't think he was a role model from what <laughs> I remember. He had like. He looked like General Kitchener in in <laughs> helicopter form. I'm not kidding. Look up Lionel from Budgie the Little Helicopter. Okay, fine. Right I'll now. Google it right now. And, Lionel. and see if Lionel from Budgie the Little Helicopter and and see if you think that he is clearly modeled after General General General. Oh my god! That mustache. <laughs> He looks like someone cut a Mr. Potato Head in half 
and slapped its head onto a helicopter. That's what it looks like. Do people get inside of these helicopters? I, they have doors and windows. <laughs> what is going on? Is that a window into their soul? What is wrong with these helicopters? <laughs> Anyway, I've just been reminded about Budget of the Little Helicopter. So if anyone wants to go see it, it's I, I have no I'm idea. I'm sure it's on BritBox. Whatever. Uh, Benedict, what were we doing here today? Uh, uh, do you know what? I don't know. Uh, so we next get another story of Josh shitting on uh, what probably were in the past family friends of his. When he writes a story about friends of his whose youngest son is, uh, I guess, a piece of shit. Uh, he's just talking about he dropped out of high school. He work, lives in the basement and lives off his parents, and he's an alcoholic now. Great. Fine. Josh? Yep, tough. There, There's assholes out there. There are grifters in all 50 states, as a matter of fact. In all countries, as a matter of fact. And I don't think anyone denies that they exist. But I guess Josh's point is... That's all the people who didn't read my book mm -hmm. is the only thing I can take from it. But picking back up, he says, quote, Some men, of course, desperately want authority for all the wrong reasons. Their model is not the biblical ideal of kingship, serving God and serving others, but the Epicurean doctrine of self-fulfillment. They preen, they abuse, they dominate. They see others as means to their own ends, and why not? This is where Epicurean liberalism leads. It's logical endpoint. If a man is his own god, why should he not do as he pleases? And this is just, I mean, we should have seen this coming boring. from a mile yeah, yeah. away. It's very boring, yeah. and it's very similar to arguments you get from the Christian well, right about- God, where is morality? Well, how could you just do it? What you're, it's the, what you, however you want to do, and there's nothing to tell you not to do it. So, bah. it's like, okay, well, why aren't all of us atheists in the street murdering and pillaging then? Huh. Maybe it's because that morals don't actually come from your book. Maybe that's a mm -hmm. possibility. Uh, but that brings us, Benedict, to the next section of this chapter titled Good Men, Good Order, which he begins. In the ancient myths, gods often go to war against the forces of chaos to bring forth order and peace. The motif is so common, it has a name, Chaos Kampf. It is there in the Bible, too, as early as Genesis. And where? Where? There's no recount of a struggle God had in the Bible. It just says it took him no, apart six from days with Adam, to make shit. Because Adam's a prick. <laughs> Adam, living in the basement, becomes an alcoholic, you know. All, basically. All the, things, all the things, basically. Abusive towards his wife. Um, I assume? I assume. I'm probably correct. That is the biblical model, after all. Uh, but skipping down a little ways, he says, quote, While the quest for order and flourishing is his quest, God has used men to advance it. And the kind of order God calls men to serve reveals something about who he is and how he expects men to lead. Men are to use their power to promote the liberty of others. And then we jump into a page and a half, two pages about Mesopotamian literature. There's half a page on the Enuma Elish for reasons I don't know. And then he gets on to another Akkadian story, Atrahasis, mm. which he says about, quote, sure. the, the Akkadian epic Atrahasis, dating to the 18th century BC, reflects the same concept. Let him bear the yoke, the gods say of men. Let man assume the drudgery of God so the God can do something else. Let men be slaves. And I bring that up for an important reason, because Josh argues that the Bible is different than that. For these couple of pages. It's not. 
uh, well, he sort of realizes in a couple of pages that he's wrong and uh, reverses on that front. But I do mm-hmm. want to present at least what he says here so we're mindful of it when he changes his mind. He starts off right now saying, quote, By contrast, the God of the Bible fashions a cosmic order directed toward a very different end. His order is directed toward the good of human beings. Everything God creates in the seven days of creation anticipates human needs. Humans will need light, land, food, habitation, and companionship. They will need time and seasons and agriculture. They will need time, Benedict. Humans will need time. What would we do without time? I always wish I had more time, so... And so God creates. The functions of the created world are directed toward the needs of man. Funny that, isn't it? It's almost like man was like, hey, these are the, these are the functions we have. Must have been created for us. Mm-hmm. But uh, Josh says about it, quote, God does indeed call the man and woman to serve him, but not by meeting his needs. The Bible names no needs of God. Rather, God invites the man and woman to serve him by sharing the work of advancing his purposes for the world. So that's the picture Josh is painting that I want, to, I want people to keep uh, in mind. Uh, a, because it's just not true, period. Uh, the God of the Bible demands sacrifice all the fucking time uh-huh. and all sorts of shit. Uh, but pay no attention to those parts when we can speak vaguely about how he just created everything for mankind. Uh, but also the fact that in a couple pages here, Josh is going to completely flip on that idea and sort of acknowledge that humanity only exists to serve that God. Uh, which feels like he should have known when he was writing those words. Really feels like he should have avoided putting that down. But skipping down a ways, Josh says, quote, To be a king, a man must learn that we do not create the order of the universe, any of us. We do not set its bounds or arrange its rhythms. God does that. We are the beneficiaries. The Bible makes this point by noting that Solomon inherits his kingdom in, and its good order from his father David. What we have, we have received. We are here to serve the order God has made. That is what dominion is for. And now, I swear to God, every time he writes this line, I highlight it. Contrast that truth with the claims of Epicurean liberalism. <laughs> this, uh, this book is so focused on Epicurus for like, if you ask 10 people in the street if they'd know anything about Epicurus, I guarantee that They'd be like, is it that magazine know. that I don't subscribe to so I yeah. can't get their recipes? I, I just... I get it every now and then. I click those links sure. and then there's a paywall, you know, a whole pain in the ass. Uh, quote, uh, John Rawls was one of modern liberalism's foremost philosophers, and he coined a famous phrase. He said, we are, as individuals, self-originating sources of valid claims. He meant that individuals should and do have the power to choose their purposes and aims in life independent of any pre-existing moral order. What makes a claim valid, what makes your actions praiseworthy or good, is the simple fact you have chosen them, not that they comport or advance a moral order beyond yourself. That is the typical view of Epicurean liberalism. Now, first of all, it's not. <laughs> thank you. Point number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am not a Rawlsian scholar. I assume they would be called Rawls heads. Like parrot heads? Yeah. I think, I think that's what they'd be. Uh, but I did take the time to look up a Medium post, which tries uh, to explain this concept and demonstrate, I think, how Josh is just wrong. Uh, this is a uh, Medium post from Zainep Kasiki. Don't know if that's correct or not. Uh, posted in 2022. Uh, and it reads, this is, this is describing Rawls' ideas. It says, quote, It may be useful to shed some light on what it means to be free for people in Rawls' account. 
It means that they regard themselves as self-originating sources of valid claims, as well as capable beings who bear responsibilities for their ends and have a conception of the good. Rawls underlines that people are not only free and equal, but also reasonable and rational. Thanks to the former, they have the capacity for a sense of justice, meaning that they are capable of confirming fair terms of collaboration even when it is hardly in their interests, given the premise mm-hmm. that others are also eager to act as such. As a consequence of their rationality, they also have the capacity for conception of the good, which allows mm-hmm. them to pursue their judgment regarding what is valuable in life. Rawls puts that as far as they have these two moral powers to a sufficient degree, enabling them to co- uh, cooperate with society, they are considered free and equal. So you could say that someone saying, I did it, so therefore it's good, is not what Rawls said. You could say that that's not yeah. what Rawls is saying. Yeah. You could indeed say that that is but not But you could what say Rawls that that is, is what Josh says Rawls is saying. Well, Josh even takes it a step farther by coming up with more dumb bullshit that isn't what Rawls is saying in the paragraph below that where he says, quote, Any man who tries to live as if he is a self-originating source will soon run up against the reality of other people and their needs and lives. And if he is going to do with his life exactly as he pleases, he must eventually bend these other people to his will. That is not what Rawls is saying. That has nothing to do with what Rawls is saying. Not at all. Rawls is talking about coexisting within a society where people collaborate. Mm -hmm. That's nothing to do with this bullshit idea. And again, it goes back to that power obsession that a lot on the right have with their conspiracy theories. Because Josh does get into that a little bit later where he starts talking about how they want to control you. It's always about control. Everything's about control. He says, and I'll read the quote, quote, For modern liberals, this notion that we each create our own moral truth is at the foundation of what it means to be an individual. But no mature, well-adjusted person lives like that. Sooner or later, if you are not a megalomaniac, you grow up and realize you are part of a world with other people in it that you have no right to control. That's what Rawls was saying! (laughs) Josh, the part you claim is your idea is what Rawls, to my eyes, seems to be saying there. Yep. Seems and I'm not, I, I'm not lines. a Rawls expert by any means, but no. neither is Josh. Uh, no, like for a lot of these guys, when we encounter a bit character in these books, like I'll look at their Wikipedia page, and if I don't understand the gist, I'll look for another source. That's basically all I had to do with Rawls, and I'm like, oh, no, Josh, you don't understand what Rawls is saying. Uh, because it seems, although I will say, like, I did encounter, like, reading his Wikipedia page, apparently he had a big, like, shift in his theories in the 90s when he published something i don't remember what it was called but and sort of it cuts against what he had argued earlier so i don't know the whole ins and outs of it but based on what i've seen and what i've read in that excerpt there uh it does not seem to me that josh knows what the fuck is going on with rawls and i doubt he does but that's gonna bring us benedict to the next subsection of the chapter titled ordering the soul um because Josh, he likes to go to many fine restaurants that serve lots of stewed and fried items. <sighs> Managed to fit a soul food joke in here. <laughs> I, yep. Okay. Good. Right before that subsection, I have to read this because it makes the next sentence make se- sense. It says, quote, The world as we know it is deeply disordered. It needs men ready to use their influence to order it according to God's wishes, not their own, for the good of those they love and the flourishing of the world. Now, after the subsection break, it says, Having said that, that is not how you should start after a subsection. <laughs> Having said that, yeah, ignoring all that. Uh... <laughs> he, 
He continues, It is difficult for a man to be an agent of order and peace if his own life is full of disorder and chaos. Yes, clean, clean your, your room. room. Make your bed. Clean your room. That's what it is. Oh, and we did skip over, over the daughter section, didn't we? I didn't think it was that important, but he says he yeah, has a daughter. Yeah, he doesn't say her name, though. He's named the sons. I wonder why. Maybe it's to prevent abuse. He doesn't remember fine. the daughter's name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's not the important one in his household. But yeah, the whole point of the story with the daughter was just like, she is awake late at night, but we are her parents, and we say she has to sleep at night. Yeah. That's us ruling the household. That's yeah. it. Great. Um, so, yes, we get this. Now we're on to the uh, ordering of the soul. Man has to order his soul. It's clean your room bullshit. Uh, but first, we get some talk about Solomon and David. And Nothing the, interesting there, really, right? Nope, I mean, not at all. Yeah. David told Solomon to... Pay attention to his character. Buck up his ideas. And then he was like, and then my mother took me running in the mornings in summer. So he's yes! basically saying he's Solomon and his mom is David. What is up with this weird boot camp his mom was running? Yeah, what it's... is this story? Yeah, I get it's... it. All of us at some point in our lives, our mothers have gotten like a weird obsession that lasted three months. Or right. just like fed up of us like being around the house and in their way sure. while we're there trying to do things like that's yeah sure. But Josh says, "quote One summer when I was in middle school, my mother announced that every morning she would require my sister and me to rise early and accompany her to the local military academy, which has since closed, but at the time had an outdoor track that was open to the public. We would begin each day with a mile run," she said. This was the warm-up, to be followed by other exercises of her devising. I can't help but imagine that this is like one of those sad, middle-aged male boot camp things <laughs> where they all go to and crawl on the ground for no reason like on surfaces that no reason. Yeah, in a parking lot and then get yeah. yelled at by an angry old man who washed out a boot camp. This yeah. is what I imagine is going on with Josh's mom. I, I also find it funny that like every time he's like, hey, here's a story about like discipline in my life. It's always someone else forcing him to be disciplined and like yeah. not him doing it of his own volition. In a coach-like way. It's always yeah, comes back true. to the it's coaches. It's always a fucking coach, yeah. Always comes back to the goddamn coaches. But skipping ahead a little ways, he says, quote, to reach a man, to teach a man God's order, the Bible contains its own instructions for kings. The instructions are about self-mastery, huh? Huh? And service to God. For example, the king shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. I Apart from you, David, who had a third wife at least, and Solomon, who had seven hundred wives, hundreds yeah. of wives. Yes, I was about to say. Remember who the main character of this chapter was? Huh. In other words, don't indulge yourself. Don't live for personal gratification. No, ben, uh, Josh, the book was talking very literally about wives because this was an issue. It was very yeah. literally about wives. Like literally part of the Solomon story is that he had an Egyptian wife who was like daughter of the Pharaoh and she corrupted him and made him follow Egyptian gods. Like that's part of the fucking story. That's the whole deal. So it's, it, to my mind, being very literal, and Josh is taking it in an abstract way because that's the only way to fit his dumb bullshit. Uh, he continues, Don't live for personal gratification. Don't make satisfi satisfying desire your life's aim. Uh, that's probably just a call out to NoFap November, I'd imagine. Uh, <laughs> the Apostle Paul says something similar in the New Testament, writing that he disciplines his body so that he will not be mastered by his passions. Are you going out every night? Stop. Are you sleeping in every morning? Get up. 
Don't surrender your life to the momentary pleasures of alcohol or drugs or intellectual sloth. It's not worth it. Discipline your body. Improve your mind. Retain your testosterone. Keep it within you. It goes into the brain. <laughs> Why did Josh Your stop? jizz yes. goes to the brain. I'm not done with the quote yet, Benedict. It continues. <laughs> the jizz goes into the brain and make brain smart. <laughs> That's the only thing I Nobody can has ever been made smarter here. by jizz. I I promise you. <laughs> um blah blah blah. Next, don't acquire excessive silver and gold. Buddy, you're talking about Solomon here. Sorry, uh, also the fucking Republican Party lecturing me on acquiring silver yeah. and gold. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. There's literally a song, Silver and Gold, for Christmas. That's literally a song, dude. Fuck off. Uh, so next, another story about a possibly fake friend of his, right? Somebody who lives in San Francisco is in like, I forget what it was, banking or investments or something like that. Uh, the only, the only thing I highlighted from the entire section was just the line, I have to keep grinding. Cause you know, we all got to keep on that grind. So, mm -hmm. uh, that, that part is. Yeah. Cause America is a capitalist nightmare. Yes. Uh, with like a hedge fund manager, I think is the friend he's claiming this yeah. time. I think that's what it is. Uh, but yeah, we just get more vague aphorisms. There's not much here before the next subsection that I really cared about. There wasn't really anything that struck my eye. Uh, but just we get another, also, another story about a law student. He's just throwing in all the stories throwing he couldn't think out. of where to yeah, put. This is the, yeah, this is the kill your darling section of the book yeah. where it, like, it, he didn't cut them. And it's just like some law student who Josh, who didn't have an idea what he wanted to do. And Josh is like, why don't you ask your dad? And the guy is like, why would I ask my dad? That's like, it. Which, like, okay, he throws in some other shit. Like, apparently the student is shit-talking his dad, being like, he's lazy and he's mean to my mom and blah, blah, blah. But honestly, as a law student whose parents were not lawyers, why would I have asked my parents about what field of law I wanted to go into? They wouldn't have been able to describe a field of law to me. No, unless they would be like, hey, you should do the law that will help me. <laughs> <laughs> help me law. That's uh, that's yeah. really what you ought to get into. I, I hear it's great. But that brings us to the next subsection titled The Order of Liberty, which begins, All this talk about order rings contrarian in an age that claims to prioritize liberty. But this brings us to another paradox. The Bible claims order and self-command are not opposite to liberty, but are liberty's prerequisites. Freedom and character go hand in hand. So again, it's another, well, if I get to define everything however I want. Yeah, this last bit is just him defining, defining liberty and freedom in a way that completely doesn't make sense. Because, well, and, and he also is like, uh, who, who is it he references? Is it... Um... It's the, Isaiah the NFL Berlin. Kicker? Oh, I thought you were going to say the NFL kicker he knows. That's we're about weird. To get I to. wrote who is this in big <laughs> fucking I know who it is, Benedict, and I'll tell you? you when we get to okay, it. Okay, yeah. cool. No, it's Isaiah Berlin at the end when he's talking about two concepts of liberty where Isaiah Berlin's makes sense and Josh's does not <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah. So carry on anyway. But, you know, so he goes back into that thing a little bit earlier where, uh, you know, other, other gods, uh, other cultures from the past thought that people were born to be slaves and the Bible didn't. Let's not pay attention to the fact that the Bible literally has instructions on how to take care of your slaves. Let's mm -hmm. not pay attention to that part. But also, again, going back to that, he's still saying, the Bible, it's, it's not. You're not a slave to your God. You're not supposed to just serve them all the time. That'll change, again, in a few pages. But this is where we get the story about his NFL kicker friend. And he says about this, it starts off with just a, another story about, I think it's one of his sons again, 
Uh, might be, might not be. Like, what are you supposed to do as a man? You have to discipline yourself, right? Oh, yes, his kid wanted a root beer and Josh wouldn't let him have it. So we have to discipline our bodies and our, you know, choose our food and drink. It's also very funny that, like, denying your kid a root beer, it means, like, I am a king. (laughs) (laughs) In Josh's eyes? I mean, that's fairly, uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, But he says, quote, athletes do the same constantly. I have a good friend who plays in the NFL. He's the best kicker in the league, and he has not gotten to that station by happenstance. And he just goes on to talk about how he, he trains a lot. No shit, he's a professional athlete. Of course it's he's going to train a lot. It's funny to be like, yeah, that's good, but the guy who's grinding to make more money, bad. Like, where, where's the line? What's the difference? Well, I think the guy grinding to make money is a hedge fund man. Or, oh, wait, we're talking about Josh's sense of morality, not ours. Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, yeah, let's not say it makes any sense. But Benedict, I look. So he described this guy as one of the best kickers in the NFL. No, no, the best. The best. I went to CBS Sports, uh, who had, where they had an article... Uh, NFL's top 10 kickers for 2023 season. Uh, Number one is Justin Tucker of the Ravens, who I don't think is a friend of Josh because he's younger than us um, and doesn't have any connection to Josh whatsoever. So number two, Daniel Carlson of the Raiders, also like 27 years old and doesn't really have any connection to Josh that I can find. But Benedict, number three, the third ranked kicker Mm. in the NFL, Harrison Butker of the Kansas City Chiefs, um, who, he's definitely the guy. I'll tell you, he is definitely the guy. He is, yeah, because Josh did a congratulations to my friend tweet. Yes, that is why I knew. And if you go look at his Wikipedia page, there are some interesting tidbits on there, like the fact that he is a devout Catholic who has spoken out against traditionis custodes, saying that he felt, and this is quoting from Wikipedia, saying that he felt that he and other tradition-oriented Catholics were persecuted in the church. The Traditionis Custodes is just the thing where Pope Francis said, hey, we don't really need to use the pre-Vatican II stuff. Uh, well, let's get rid of, let's yeah, get yeah. rid of that stuff. He's really bad about that. He also uh, supported the 2022 Kansas Value Them Both Amendment, which was an anti-abortion ruling that lost, or an anti-abortion amendment that lost in Kansas. Um, and he is the co-founder or president, I'm not sure which, co-founder and president maybe, of M.D. Keller, uh, which is a, a company that does uh, menswear. But more importantly, Benedict, he is on the board of directors at Regina Sayeli Academy, which is an accredited pre-K through 12 classical homeschool hybrid academy that describes itself on its website as, quote, Our carefully designed homeschool hybrid model offers support to parents with an accredited classical curriculum for pre-K through 12th grade. Students attend classes by grade level at their local campus centers on Mondays and Thursdays and follow the integrated curriculum at home during the remainder of the week. Campus classes are taught by teachers. We call them tutors. Trained in the classical curriculum and the Socratic method to lead intentional discussion throughout the material as your child grows through stages of grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Our classical curriculum insists that the purpose of education is to cultivate a mind pursuant of truth and includes robust coursework in reading, writing, Latin, mathematics, music, debate, and visual arts. And then under the uh, uh, R vision, it says... Our Catholic faith is embedded in the culture and curriculum of RCA. We ensure our teachers and staff are committed to faithful adherence to the holy magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church through an oath of fidelity. 
Fun stuff. Fun stuff. So that is his friend. At least we did finally find he does have a friend, which is, you know, an improvement for him, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah, fine. So that brings us to the next subsection, and we're getting near the end here. We're getting near the end. Two concepts of liberty, which you sort of mentioned earlier because there was another point where it would have been would have made more sense for him to bring this up when he first brought up Isaiah Berlin, mm. but instead he, he does it now. Uh, but he says, quote, modern liberals disagree. They see no link between character and liberty. And at that point, I know I could just disregard everything he says after that because that's obviously false horse shit. So <laughs> that's generally where I'm like, okay, this is someone who's not even trying to be taken seriously when they say stuff like that. Not that Josh has tried that hard to be taken seriously throughout the entirety of this book. But on the next page, he says this that I did find fun. This is where the left's crusade of nihilism comes in. It's campaign of disorder. Leftists want to raise the inherited structures of society so individuals can be free. And given all we've talked about, the cultural Marxism conspiracy theory the last couple Mm -hmm. weeks, this just, in my mind, this was hitting all those notes, all those notes. The biological realities of male and female constrain individual expression, they say, so they must be denied, and traditional gender roles abolished. The traditional family, likewise, and traditional religion, too, all must go so individuals can do as they please. And there are some individuals who must be forced to be free. If you are a traditional Jew or Christian, a defender of the traditional family, or a believer in the reality of male and female, you cannot be left to your own devices. You must be restrained and re-educated, lest you perpetuate intolerance and and bigotry. Love to re- re-educate me. Josh definitely saw Clockwork Orange when he was too young. Oh, for sure. He yeah, definitely yeah. When he was thinks. Too young to he definitely thinks that's what happens on state school campuses. Not at Harvard, of course, but at those state no, schools. No, never. Those dirty state schools. That's what they're doing there. So it's a lot of the same notes that we've already hit throughout most of this, uh, that the Epicureans, they just think freedom, blah, 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 is doing what you want. They don't love God. They love phone more than God. Uh, they won't even retweet uh, this tweet. Uh, because they love phone more than God. Uh, it's true. <laughs> I guess we can sum up Josh's book mostly with that one meme. I think that meme would be most of Josh's book. But this is where he does get down uh, to not realizing he's completely reversed course on something he said earlier. <laughs> where he says, quote, The Bible says God freed the Israelites from slavery so they could serve him. Serving him was freedom. Because serving him was what they were created to do. It's what all humans were created to do. Josh, did you read four pages ago when you you said that wasn't the case? I know. It was just one of those things we always make the joke about. Do these people have fucking editors? But really, somebody should have picked up on the fact that he was entirely reversing on a whole line of argumentation he laid down over the course of two or three pages. And he just doesn't seem to give a shit about that at all. Uh, and skipping forward a little ways, he says, quote, Today's young men must concoct their own truth, they are told, and make their own rules, with nothing but their shifting wants and anxieties to guide them. The result is the glaring dichotomy obvious everywhere in our culture between the rhetoric of self-realization on the one hand and loud cries of victimhood on the other. Mm. And I bring that up because the victimhood thing is another... We haven't really talked about it much in this chapter, but it's something he's hitting on regularly. The left... 
They're all victims. They don't want to be leaders. They're victims. And we've heard Thanks, it before. Josh. We've heard it before. We've heard it from Josh. Um, and it also comes up a lot in the cultural Marxism documentary movie. This whole victim thing that they talk about. Um, mm. And I don't think we got to that point in the movie when we were doing that no, we didn't. the other day. We didn't. But it definitely does come up. But that brings us to our next subsection of the chapter titled, Who is Going to Run the Country? And it begins, and this is, I think, the last or maybe the second to last. Yeah. Second to last subsection. It begins, which is exactly how, okay. He does another one of these things. When you start a subsection, you. Yeah, I think you, this is proof that there's a sub editor that is just like, we need to make breaks here. Maybe, maybe, because the line before the subsection is liberalism's opening note of liberation soon gives way to dependence. And then after the subsection, which is exactly how many in today's ruling class want it. Today's liberals believe in government by experts, by which they mean themselves. Their program amounts to telling men to accept the entertainment they are offered, live off the government cash they are given, and let other people run the country. Throw in a dash of activism if you want. Go and tell everyone who will listen that society is systemically corrupt and you are a victim. Post a rant on social media. Make yourself feel good and then settle down and let the experts fix it. Because the experts agree that America is oppressive. They wrote that script. It is part of their justification for claiming power and destroying the very things, family, blue-collar work, that permit the common man to get a leg up in life and exert influence in society. Uh, boy, is that crazy. Yeah, um, it's like we don't want blue-collar work to exist. Of course we do. We I mean, I don't want blue-collar to exist in the sense that it would be nice if all that stuff were automated. And yeah, we gave as long people, as everyone could survive. and yeah, Right, and people didn't have to harm their bodies to make a living. That yeah, would be we great. We talked about this in an earlier chapter, yeah. Right, right. Uh, but I, yeah. The experts thing is the biggest part of this last subsection here, which is basically just Dunning-Kruger in, in action here. Because mm-hmm. Josh... He only speaks vaguely about the experts and what they do, and they are running the country. But given the time frame of this, I think we know that's what on his mind is COVID and COVID vaccines. I think we probably know that's probably, probably the yeah. inspiring Yeah, yeah, here. that's fair. And Josh, for this whole part here where he's shitting on experts, and he goes on, I'll read this next portion, where he says, quote, The question is, who is going to run the country, the people or the experts? Working men and women or the self-appointed elite? This is where the Bible's teaching on manhood, character, and liberty gets real and urge. This is what happens when the Bible comes off the streets and starts getting real. No? You never watched The Real World? Growing up, that wasn't something something you did? Never mind then. Uh, But yes, it really is. Like, think about if if we're talking about, as I suspect, COVID. Josh would rather not have doctors... Be listened to. No, everyone should be able to do their own research. That's right. He wants the people standing outside of hospitals screaming at anyone going inside making the choices regarding medical care in times of a national crisis. I think it's fairly obvious that that's probably what he's talking about here. But the last thing we get in this last subsection, subsection, I do that every chapter before the final, is talk about Josh's favorite, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, where he says, quote, one of the men who understood the, this best in American history was Theodore Roosevelt. As a boy, I loved Roosevelt, and I still do. 
Nobody Until tell I found Josh out that he ran for the Progressive Party. Nobody tell Josh about the Square Deal. Nobody tell yeah. Josh about the pro labor uh, legislation uh, during the Roosevelt years. No, 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 no nobody yeah, talk about, about it. Yeah, yeah, Although to be fair, he was a union buster until he, you know, moved over to the Progressive Party. Uh, but anyways, none of that matters. Uh, but yeah, there's this whole long sad portion here and i say sad because i still remember that the professor josh loved most uh who influenced him on all this teddy roosevelt stuff really just took a shit on josh after january 6th um so probably sad in josh's mind and none of it's really important it's just the same vague nonsense but before we get to the final subsection he writes quote for too long, too many American men have been content to be entertained, or they have believed the lies they have been told about the evils of masculinity. Either way, American men, it is time to wake up, sheeple! It is time to... The, she, the sheeple's not in there. It is time to become free men as your fathers and grandfathers were. To order your souls and answer to God be what he, and be what he made you to be. Not subjects, but kings. He never at any cool. point addresses the if everyone's a king, then nobody's a king. Then nobody's right? a king, yeah, exactly. Like the whole point is no kings, no masters, you know, no no kings, buddy. No kings. And that does bring us to the final subsection of the chapter, which is titled I am in the Problematically. Father. Yeah. I am in Josh's father, and the Josh's father is that's a it's a difficult position to pull off. Yeah. I will say, the father is also in me. It's a very Depending difficult... on your definition of in, but yeah. <laughs> That's right. Fingers count. <laughs> and it begins with a paragraph of vague nonsense I don't give a shit about. So I'm going to read the final paragraphs in their entirety, as I often do, and they read as follows, quote, the last time I saw my grandfather, he was in a nursing home in Cloud County, Kansas, a county over from where his farm and house were. I was all grown up by then in law school. I went back to visit him in the summer of my first year. He had suffered several strokes. I remember finding him with my dad and mother and younger sister reclining in a cushioned armchair out in the common area sleeping. Other seniors were gathered at tables here and there working on crafts. Some watched television. What struck me immediately was how thin he had gotten. He'd always been a solid man, perhaps a little rotund. His face was perpetually tanned for the hours and days in the sun. Now he was pale white and his cheeks were sunken. His hair, or what remained of it, he had only been nearly bald or he had been nearly bald since I knew him, with only a ring of brown hair around the back of his head, always combed neatly down, had also gone utterly white, and now stood out at all angles. I remember seeing a sketch once of the aging King Arthur in one of those T. H. White novels, I think. Arthur reclines in the picture, gaunt, his eyes closed, his strength spent. This was like that. And Benedict, he has to be referencing the Once and Future King there with a T.H. White novel, which I know is a book you are not familiar with because I brought it up many times and apparently I'm the only fucking person besides Josh goddamn Holly who's ever read the fucking thing. <laughs> uh, but he continues. Grandpa stirred when we all gathered round and sat up. I don't know that he recognized me. He was his usual cheerful self, though, asking about the things he usually did, the crops, the weather. After a few minutes, he drifted off again and was soon snoring quietly as we sat beside him. I realized as I sat there that this was goodbye, and I realized that more than anyone else I had ever known... Okay, I read that in a weird way, but more than anyone else I had ever known personally, he was the man I most wanted to be. 
He had been a model for me of what it meant to be a man, a husband and father, a warrior and builder, a priest and king, laying pipe all over town. He always prized... No, not going to chuckle at that callback? Not at all? I quietly. Fine. He always prized a strong handshake. He used to greet me from the time I was small with outstretched hand and folding my boyish palm into his large one, thick and calloused from his work. And he would say, now give me a good firm grip. Like this is... This is just experience we all had with our grandparents. Man. Yeah, everyone wanted like, a literal handshake. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't able to shake my hand that last day, but before we left, I placed my hand atop his as he rested and held it there for a moment just to say thank you. Thank you for being a good man. End of a Josh Hawley's manhood. It does leave us benedict, which with the epilogue, which we will dispose of quite shortly right yep. here. We're just going to get it done, rip off the Band-Aid, and be over with it. It begins. It's a birthday party for his son. My son Elijah had his birthday the other day. (laughs) You know anecdotes are good when they're dated by how many days ago it happened when you write a book. Yes, yes. And the whole point of this story... We don't need to read any of it because there's nothing interesting no, in here. Literally, yeah, we can just we can just talk through it. Basically, what happens is he's planning a party. Uh, there, he wants there to be like activities, blah 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 blah. Um, did Elijah leads off a group of the children into the sewers? I guess like I don't the know. Pied like, Piper, yes. Yeah, down down a creek. Uh, and, and then it, the it does say okay. It does say a culvert, which to me means sewer. A culvert pipe is just something that goes underneath, lets a stream or something continue beneath a road. But gotcha. it's a form of sewer pipe. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, yeah, it, what it, we're getting described... at, yes, this is what happens in Stephen King's It, and unfortunately, <laughs> to our knowledge, this one did not include an underage orgy. Yeah, but well, there you go. Go read um, the book that's in there. I didn't make it up. Yeah, I know the. <laughs> Clown then comes and uh, no, so uh, basically well, the, clown, the adults are like, the clown "Hey, does we... come. His name is Josh Hawley." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the adults are like, "Hey, we should go check on the kids, maybe." And then they find Elijah, but not the other kids. No. And then Elijah, the, Josh is like, "Hey, Elijah, go home. Like, go back to the party, whatever. We'll we'll find the kids." And then Elijah's like, "No, I want to help find the kids." And, and then Josh is like, "Off into the sewers to find." Them. Yeah, and Josh is like, "My boy, what a leader!" And like, this is the kid that lost all the other kids you can't be like <laughs> proud of him for wanting to find the kids yeah, he the lost them people people let me tell you i like the kind of child leader who doesn't lose all of his <laughs> members of his party when you go in an adventuring party you don't want to lose people i like the ones who don't lose people that's it that's the epilogue and it's called <laughs> of temples of men and it has nothing to do with anything no like i have such little highlighted in this epilogue because none of it really matters, right? It's just, he, like, he tries to finish, I guess, finish, in heavy air quotes, the Solomon story and mm-hmm. sort of paper over, barely, the fact that, yes, Solomon had hundreds of wives. What's that biblical marriage you're talking about, Josh? What's that all about, huh? But he gets in here and he says, America needs men who understand that liberty is not the flight from responsibility, but the movement toward it, who understand liberty is found not in dissolving the bonds of family and tradition and faith as the Epicurean left instructs, but in forging them stronger. That's that's the gist of this epilogue here. It's just more vague platitudes. But I will do a final send-off to this book by reading the final paragraphs of the epilogue, which is the final indeed portion of the book, and that reads as follows, quote, And that determines how we live now. I have mentioned my own father from time to time in these pages. I think of him again, finally, in connection with grace. 
He was an athlete as a young man. In high school and college. Did you drop your headphones? Yep. Okay. <laughs> uh, he was an athlete as a young man in high school and college, and he carries himself still with an athlete's grace. I remember as a child watching him catch a pass, admiring as he moved smoothly over the distance, extending his arms to catch the throw, catch my throw, light, never labored. He taught me something about how to live like that as a man, to live with grace. He disdained men who blustered and strutted. Wow, he fucking hated his son, didn't he? Mm. Uh, he laughed at false bravado. He instructed me as a small boy when I was just beginning to play sports and hunt and enter the world of men that character is what counts. Live with character, he taught me, and you'll never have anything to prove to anyone. That's how he wore his manhood easily. He showed me that manhood is not play acting or social performance. It is an invitation to character that God extends by his grace. And then finally, the final fucking paragraph after three dots is, quote, The night after my son's birthday party, when we were unable to find the other children and assumed they were lost forever, I tucked him into bed and read to him and his brother, as I do most... No, no, I added, I added some joking words there, Benedict. Got no reaction from you. It's because I'm glazed over. I'm sorry, I really <laughs> caught with this book anymore. I just need you to finish it. And then I took his small hands in mine and prayed for him, that God would awaken his heart to the call in life and the great adventures God made for him. Lord, would you use my son to build your temple and bring your presence to the world, I asked. May the same be true for every man. And... Brother, (laughs) (laughs) And... Of Manhood by Josh Hawley. I will be burning this book tonight. It's awful. Benedict. Hated it. Um, Several weeks ago, off Mm -hmm. the air, you admitted to the error in your ways in I choosing did. this book. I would like I that to be on the record. I, it is now. You can have it on the record. I am sorry, everyone. Oh. It was a bad choice of book. It was a bad choice of book. I got to say, like... I didn't think... I think it would be less, way less self-helpy than this. I Way less self-helpy and way less hand-wavy Jesus-y, right? Yeah. Because he's constantly not quoting the Bible, but just picking things he wants the Bible to say and claiming that it says it when the words don't say that, which is a common hand-wavy Jesus-y thing to do. But you usually see that from people who are trying to make the Bible more liberal rather Mm -hmm. than turn it into something more conservative, which is why, yeah, yeah, I think maybe why it's so strange to encounter that in this book. Um, But it is, I will say this book was, a definite step away from what we've become accustomed to uh, in our right wing. I will books. say it was a, it was a miss. Well, I I I'm look. I'm trying to pull something positive for us from here, okay. which is that I think we did learn a fair bit in this book, uh, and we got some exposure to the more overtly Christian nationalist uh, portion of the American right, which sure. we hadn't really necessarily spent that much time with before, unless you count like the faith of Donald J. Trump, uh, which we mm-hmm. did way way early on. Uh, And I think there's some value in that. Can we take any one thing directly away from the book? I don't think so because it was so fucking scattershot and vague and ephemeral. I don't think there's a whole lot we can directly take away from it. But I like to hope that the real learning was the friends we made along the way. Am I right in that? Sure, yeah. Let's say that's what it was. Okay. Well, Benedict, 
Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Hey, Kevin, I became a member to say you are correct about Brennan Lee Mulligan, Brian Smith, Sam Walsh, Dan L., Teach Peace, Dr. Milmini and Landon Liam Swinwomley, The Ghost of Larry Nichols, Jacob Johnson, Danny Rosari, Return Tiny Laptop, <laughs> New Builders Never will, it's dead. Actually, it's still, it's still sitting here on my desk. It's still sitting right here. Uh, new Buildings are a globalist conspiracy. Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson Fetro, Shadow Princess vs. the Raptor Wolves, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S., New Year, Same Old Sad Bastard. Oh, Benedict, what art thou, bright spot? The, the book's done. That is a very bright spot indeed. Flack Weasel, Sadie Sister Wednesday, Kieran Dackler, join us next week when Cornerstone Matrix explains the Cornerstone speech. Cornerstone Matrix is the full names of James Yeager's production company, Benedict. Uh, oh. Henry Louis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Clifton Stuckey, Paws, Arethus Native, A Baby, Wah, Veronica Forker, Melissa C., George Saulnier, Tinker's Dam and Skell, Stefan, 140 Pounds of Street Meat, Utah Outcast, Dave Barber, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blast Me, Jay Reynolds, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, Taru Takanan, and Balls Waters. And thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time. Budgie the little helicopter. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>